Being an entrepreneur can be extremely rewarding, but it also comes with high risks. Failure is part of the game. If you fail fast enough, you'll learn faster. In today's episode, Krista and I talk about her journey through loss in business and founding a business that is both profitable and enjoyable. As a person who wears many hats in life, Krista knows how to find the next big opportunity in life. Let's dive in. Are you looking for an extra boost of inspiration while you chase your dreams? It's not always easy to stay motivated while you're balancing a career and home life, but that's exactly what we're doing. My name is Dory Stewart, and this is the She Turned Entrepreneur Podcast. Around here, we like to talk about business, marketing, motherhood, and so much more. I have a deep passion for encouraging other female business owners to achieve their goals. I am so excited to share this platform as a way to build you up and cheer you on as you pursue your dreams. I've been called the teacher turned entrepreneur, which is totally true. I was working as a high school STEM teacher when I saw a need and came up with a solution. That idea became a business that I was able to build into a multi-million dollar global brand. Now I'm using the knowledge and experiences I've gained to show other women that they can do it too. Being an entrepreneur can be a lonely and intimidating road at times. Thankfully, you don't have to do this by yourself. With the She Turned Entrepreneur podcast, I am thrilled to share the journey I and other inspirational women have taken to get to a place of fulfillment in their careers. These are transformational stories of leaving a soul-crushing nine-to-five job for a life of freedom. It doesn't matter where you're currently at on the path. Having someone cheering you on makes a world of difference to get to the next step. I love that I can bring that to you here. If you're ready to build the life you've been dreaming of, stay tuned as we dig deep into what it takes to turn into a true entrepreneur. I'm very excited to welcome today's guest to the She Turned Entrepreneur podcast. Get ready to be inspired. She's a mom, attorney, investment property owner, and an entrepreneur. Krista, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm really excited to uh, to talk to you. So we have a lot to talk about, but first, would you mind sharing with the listeners your background and how you got to where you are today? Sure, of course. So it's it's a bit of a winding road. I went to law school, and oh gosh, over ten years ago, and I I was always on sort of a traditional attorney path. And then I had a business opportunity come to me. I didn't, I didn't really go seek it, but I, it came to me in 2015 um, from a friend who was moving on into another business and sort of said, hey, there's a business that you might be interested in. So I took a look at it. I thought, okay, well, the, the risk is low. She was willing to sort of sell it on an installment sale. And so my, my upfront investment would be pretty low. And I thought, okay, no, you know, that, that sounds like it, it could be feasible. And so I sort of was doing my legal work while owning this business starting in 2015. And it had grown really steadily between 2015 and 2019. It, it had done really well. And then in 2019, there was a, a, a big sort of cataclysmic event and that I had trusted someone else to run that, that business. And it was in another state. So I trusted someone to run that business and they were doing the financials and sort of doing all of the day-to-day work. And I was really heavily pregnant with my youngest child at the time I have, he's the youngest of six. So I have six babies 
And, you know, it kept me busy. And by that time I had left my legal job and was sort of relying completely on this business, which was fairly passive at the time. Like I said, I had this manager that I trusted and I think I learned some great lessons because the manager that I trusted ended up sort of taking the business. They ended up taking the assets, taking the money and sort of saying, and not telling me that that's what they were doing. And so I had a friend fly to the business and and find out what was going on. And I was nine months pregnant, so I couldn't travel there. And she said, Krista, everything's gone. Everything's gone, it's taken. Where meanwhile, the manager was saying, everything's fine, everything's fine, not, no problems. She walked in and the room was empty. Everything that had been there had been taken out. The office was empty. And so, When she told me that, I immediately went into labor. So I was nine months pregnant, immediately went into labor. I I told her, okay, call a locksmith. And I looked at my husband and I said, I am, I'm going to have this baby. So the locksmith called me back and I'm giving him my credit card number in between contractions so that we could change the locks. And 20 minutes later, I had the baby by myself, just me and my husband, no time for any medical professionals to arrive. So there I was, it was 2019. I had just had a baby. I have no income, no business. Bank accounts were emptied out and it it was just, there was, there was nothing. And I sort of looked at my husband and I'm like, oh my goodness, what do we do? And so we sort of said, we sort of went into like crisis mode and just said, okay, we need to work on different fronts here. First, we need to do everything we can to try and get the business back, get it back running. It was very profitable. We ended up filing lawsuits and it was, it was just really messy. So at the same time though, I mentioned to my husband, cause you know, we, we had no way to pay the bills and we had, you know, a mortgage and bills and six kids. I said, you know, when we went ax throwing a couple of months before I was pregnant, we had gone ax throwing. I said, that was a really good business model. So in a crisis, I think we should start a new business. I think, I think this is the perfect time. We have a brand new baby (laughs) and I think it's the perfect time to open up an ax throwing range. I said like, you know, how hard can this be? Um, Harder than you think, but it was, I was like, okay, I think I can do this, you know, because necessity is the mother of invention and crisis is, you know, the, the necessity was paying my bills. And so we, we figured out, uh, okay, let's put this last little bit of savings that I had had into opening up an ax throwing range at the same time. So we opened our doors with our ax throwing range when my baby was four months old. So we literally went full speed ahead because we went from idea of conception to doors open in less than four months. Like we were like, okay, full, we have to find a location. We have to get insurance. We got to get employees. We got to get permits and licensing and building permits. And that was a whole thing, but we just said, okay, we got to, we got to get our doors open. So within four months, we got our, our doors open at the same time that I had been traveling to where this business was. And I had sort of moved there with my newborn and worked around the clock to get the business back up and running. Fortunately, we were able to salvage some of the business. Like it was, it wasn't what it was before it was taken, but we were able to salvage enough of it that I was able to then sort of start growing from the ground up. Meanwhile, 
back here, we're working on finding locations and doing leases. And like I had said, building permits. There's a funny story where we were literally just about to open our doors on 4th of July weekend and fire department came in and said, we had, we had everything set up for our grand opening. We had news trucks coming and we had event invites sent out and like 800 people responded that they were interested to our axe range opening FXBG axes. And the fire department came in and said, oh, all of your lumber above the eight foot mark needs to be fire treated because it's a fire hazard if it's too close to the ceiling, even though our ceiling was 30 feet high, the code didn't really care how high the ceiling was. It just said all lumber over eight feet needed to be fire treated. So we had to literally pull down every piece of lumber the Friday before a holiday weekend when everyone in the county was leaving early and I called the county fire inspector and begged them to come back out and reinspect us. So we worked nonstop around the clock, pulling all the untreated lumber down so that we could be reinspected oh right before they go home before the 4th of July weekend, or else our entire grand opening was going to be ruined. We would have had to have, sorry, we're going to reschedule this for another time. So, you know, we had a lot going on, but fortunately I was able to get the business back and grow it substantially over about a year. And then I decided that that business, I couldn't be, because it was in another state, I couldn't be as hands-on and involved to make sure that what had happened to me before never happened again. So I decided to sell a majority share of that business and focus on sort of these other passions of mine where I could be really involved. And that sort of pivoted me to our axe throwing range, FXBG axes and real estate investing. And so that's where I've spent the majority of my energy since. And we opened FXBG Axis two and a half years ago. And it's just fun. You know, it's just a fun, I mean, I go in and I see family reunions and I see, we had an event where there was like a 90 year old grandma who was facing an ax throwing competition with her with her grandsons and she was beating them and everyone <laughs> couldn't believe it. Everyone was cheering. So the grandson would come up and throw and nobody could be kind to your grandma. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And it's so different from my, my daily life, which is the business that I had and sold was really a stressful kind of business. It wasn't a fun business. And then my lawyer job, I mean, nobody likes hiring a lawyer. <laughs> typically, <laughs> typically lawyers aren't like people you're like, yeah, I have to go hire a lawyer. Right. So that was always kind of stressful. So it was, it was really where I could just get out and be like, I am bringing so much value to people's lives and they're having so much fun and people would go in and laugh and there'd be girlfriends hanging out, like just, you know, as a mom's night out, or there'd be date nights, or there'd be, you know, company events and, and, you, nobody's angry throwing an X. <laughs> not usually. <laughs> Hopefully <Fortunately>. not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, everyone's having a great time. And so with that sale of that business, I thought, you know what, I really need to make sure that I'm diversified. And that was really important to me so that I would never be in a position again, where I have no business, no income, and that nobody could take that from me. So I, I thought, you know what, I need to diversify. And so I decided to, I had always had a passion for real estate and I always had a passion for 
design. I had, I had renovated numerous houses and I'd helped friends. I had never charged for it. It was just my passion. Like, Hey, I would love to come help you renovate your kitchen or let me help you pick out finishes or let me help you with floor plan design. Cause I'm very much into like functionality with six kids. I'm like, this has (laughs) got to be really functional for a family. So I had always been into design. I thought, you know what? I really need, I really would like to get into real estate investing. That's really where my passion is. And especially in like taking homes that no one wanted and renovating them. Mm -hmm. So I started my first real estate project where I had my husband and I and our kids went up to Maine sort of on a, on a whim. They were all remote learning we were remote working and we thought, you know what, we just need a change of scenery. So we went up to Maine on a whim and said, we're going to go to Bar Harbor. And we found this really, really cool old building. It's a convent. Very so, cool. Yeah. So nuns used to, used to live there and they used to, to walk to the Catholic church around the corner and, and teach at the school behind the house. And this house had been on the market for like three years and nobody had wanted it. It was like 120 years old and needed a complete renovation. And I just walked in and I just, it felt, it just felt special. It had a fully intact chapel with stained glass from 1917. And I was like, I have to save this house. I just, it's got, I just have to do it. And it was a total leap of faith. I had never, I have never renovated a whole house before and never renovated a house that was from 1918 that had knob and tube wiring, old uh, plaster walls, really awful wiring, really awful plumbing, cast iron plumbing. I was like, I was, I just knew it. I was just like, I just have to do it. It was more of a heart led thing than a Mm -hmm. brain led thing for sure. So I had spent the next nine months sort of doing a total reconstruction of this house in Maine that I just fell in love with which was not easy. I had to move to Maine because the general contractor had sort of dropped the ball and it was not following timelines. And um, I sort of had to, yeah, I moved up to Maine and it's so funny. The contractor had sort of stopped responding to me and it was supposed to be done. So we drive up to Maine with all of our furniture in a U-Haul ready to put in this house. We get there and it's, there's not even one working bathroom. It was lit, and I had all my kids with me. We oh, had no. a U-Haul. We had everyone was gonna help bring up mattresses and beds. And we walked in. There's no kitchen. There's mm. no bathroom. I was like, "Oh my gosh, what are we going to do?" And I immediately started calling subcontractors. And mm-hmm. we unloaded the U-Haul. And I said to my family, "I'm like, I love you, but I gotta stay. I gotta get this done." And so I immediately started calling subcontractors and finding my own people and sort of working again around the clock 20 hour days to make sure that this home was done the only bathroom that we had to use oh my gosh just I have stories (laughs) upon stories so tell me to be quiet whenever you want but the only bathroom in the house was in the basement and it's not a pretty basement from 1918 these are like dark damp not not like a nice finished basement like what we have now it's it was awful and it had a little stall like a little like a like something out of like a horror movie like a little wooden stall with just a toilet in it that was probably 30 years old stained god knows with what it was an awful (laughs) shape and the and the basement flooded 
So to get to this bathroom, we had to step on items like a stepping stone to get to the bathroom because <laughs> it was the only working bathroom in the house. So that was how that project went, but it ended up amazing. It ended up, it's like that home is just, it brings me so much joy. Mm -hmm. um, and knowing that I sort of had this vision for it that I was able to bring to life was really important to me that I, it was nobody else's. It was truly mine. Like I had had the vision, implemented the vision, saw it to completion. And I had true ownership of that, mm -hmm. which is, I think the first time I had ever felt that in my life. And it was just a powerful. phenomenal feeling. That's Absolutely. Powerful. So, so it did get done. And uh, maybe some of your listeners know, but Jen Hatmaker was my first guest. So she, it was so fortuitous. So she messaged or she put out a, um, a post on her Facebook page and she's got like a million followers and she's a New York times bestseller and she's a blogger and, and just does really amazing things. And she posted, Hey, I want to go to Maine. Does anyone know where I should stay? And I still had a house that was in total disarray, but I said <laughs> to her, I said, if you trust me, I will get this house done for you and you can stay here. Wow. And she's like, yeah, she's like, okay, I trust you. You do it. I'll be there. And I was like, oh my gosh, what did I just commit to? <laughs> and you, had you ever met her before or? No, mm -mm. Wow. I was just a follower of hers. I had really admired her and just responded to her Facebook post and wow. it probably helped that Maine and Bar Harbor in particular book up really fast. So there was probably mm -hmm. no other option. <laughs> there was probably no other mm -hmm. option for her at that point, but she's like, yeah, I'll trust you. It sounds like a really cool building. And mm -hmm. oh, she doesn't even know how close she was to not having a place to stay, <laughs> but it all worked out in the end. She was a great guest and she ended up doing like a video tour of the house that got us like 7,000 followers on Instagram. And she just sort of raved about how amazing the house was. There were still some little, you know, some things that we were fixing while she was there, but she didn't mind. And she let us finish up what we needed to finish up. So I lived with her for like a week and a half. And I'm like, how fun. Really <laughs> I know I told you you'd have my house, but I didn't tell you you'd have my house and me finish <laughs> things up for a week. <laughs> so she stayed there. And honestly, it's just that's just how it was. And now it's a, it's a vacation rental. So um, mm -hmm. if any of your listeners want to follow along some of the renovation and the before and afters are on Instagram at Bar Harbor Convent House, it's on Instagram at Bar Harbor Convent House. And it has a lot of the, the before and afters and progress pictures. And it's just a really cool project to see. And then that gave me the sort of confidence that I needed. And in one year I invested in seven additional houses. So I thought, wow. okay, if I did this, I can do anything. And so I sort yeah. of wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go in halfway. I wasn't like, I'll buy one house this year and try it. I'll buy another house next year and try it. I and was you like, couldn't ease into it either. You started <laughs> off with your first property being an extremely difficult one. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so I think that's probably the story of my life is like, I'm the type that I don't ease into anything. I'm I'm in all the way a hundred percent and it's normally something crazy and off the wall. Mm -hmm. So I feel for my husband a bit because he's had to like learn <laughs> to go along with the ride. You know, it's like, okay, if you want to do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so that's very interesting because when you faced what many would uh, be paralyzed by 
and you came to, you know, kind of a crossroads of, okay, I need to figure something out. I, maybe I should go get a, a full-time job, but instead you decided let's, let's start a, let's start a business. What do you think it is about you that made you take that risk? I, I think it was more that I, I wanted to cover all of my bases. I wanted to always have a plan B and I was applying for jobs at the time. So I, I was searching for a regular nine to five, um, job. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, but, but I need, I need another alternative. And it really came from my childhood. I had a really, really difficult childhood where I had actually moved out when I was 13. So I moved out of my parents' house and I never went back. So I had always had a job and it was sort of this sink or swim life where I needed to constantly work. And I was always sort of like, I guess you could call it like a hustler. Like I'd always find extra things to do money and I'd always find different, different things that I could do. I was always sort of looking for opportunity out of necessity. So I, I was working when I was very young and then I went to college when I was young and then I went to law school when I was young, but I always had this sort of scarcity mentality where mm -hmm. I was always like, I need to be able to survive. Like it's just a survivor attitude almost like out of necessity of my, of my childhood. And so I think that's sort of what was like, okay, this is survival. This is sink or swim. Like, you know, I've got a I've got a lot of people depending on me. So whatever it took in that moment, I was going to do it. And I just had faith that it would work. And I was like, well, worst case scenario, I'm not any worse off than I am now. You know, I, you know, maybe I'm out a little bit of money for the startup costs, but we, we kept the startup costs really reasonable before that reason. Mm -hmm. um, so when we were opening up FXBG axes, I had like a minimal savings. And so I used that. We got a really small warehouse and kept, did a lot of the work ourselves. And I did a lot of the work and kept the cost really, really minimal to open because I didn't have a lot of money to invest. I wasn't, I wasn't able to invest 50 or a hundred thousand dollars to make it what I would have. And I didn't want that if it didn't work out to to have all of that invested. So it was sort of a test the waters thing. So that was two and a half years ago. And now it's done so well that we're moving into a facility that I, I mean, if I had, could have done it this way right off the bat, I would have, but it, I'm glad that I didn't because it really showed me profitability and what we learned a lot of lessons along the way. Like, okay, these are the best types of axes. This is the best type of wood. These are the best types of, you know, there's just different things that you just don't know until you're doing it. So we're moving to a facility three times the size where we have eight wow. axe growing lanes right now. We're moving to 24 and we're adding in a bar and a restaurant. Congratulations. So, thank you. So That's now exciting. we're willing to make the big leap. So maybe one of the things that can come out of it is if you're not sure, you know, start small. Don't be afraid to, you know, take a step. It doesn't have to be a huge step. We started right. small. I hear that a lot. You know, start simple and get fancy later. <laughs> yes. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You know, it's much more complicated now, but at the beginning it was super simple. It's we're in a warehouse. We've got axes for you to throw at wood on the wall. We're pretty, we're pretty low key. And then, you know, you can test the profitability and see what works and what doesn't work. 
and then sort of grow from there. And I think that's true with most businesses. You know, maybe you don't start with a 120 year old convent in Bar Harbor, but maybe you start with, <laughs> yeah, maybe you start with like a, a townhouse that, that's relatively inexpensive and just needs some minor updating, you know, and mm -hmm. you don't need to go straight. You don't need to dive straight in. So I guess I've done both. I've, dive, I've drove straight in and then I've also <laughs> taken it slow. <laughs> well, I've had a chance to check out your Instagram for the convent house and I'm very impressed. It is gorgeous. All the listeners, you have to check it out. And Bar Harbor um, holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I got married there. And so I just love Maine. I love Bar Harbor and I love Acadia. It's just, it's such a destination. So I have to come visit. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. It's a, it's a really special house. Like I said, there's a fully intact chapel with a confessional. So it like opens That's up so into cool. a, yeah, there's like a secret wall that opens into a confessional and it's right in downtown. So you can walk everywhere. It's, it's a really special place. I would definitely love to have you. Yes, I would love that. So you put in, you said, very long days to get through several of these businesses and, and projects. So what advice would you have for the listeners? What kept you motivated during those long days? How'd you get through it? I think it was just that feeling of you do what you have to do to survive. And I think that being put in these really difficult places sort of pushes people to do things they didn't think that they could do. I really, I mean, there was a morning that I woke up, I was at the business in the other state and I had a newborn. I had gotten two hours of sleep and I, I woke up and I turned to my husband. I'm like, I cannot do this. I just can't, I cannot physically get up right now. And he mm. looked me in the eye and he's like, I love you, but you gotta get up. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I got out of bed and we went that day and I worked my, I worked, oh gosh, probably 16 or 18 hours that day. It was super dark. It was late when we, when we, when we finished and, but I did it. And you just take it one day at a time, especially when you're really in the midst of slogging, you know, you're like, I can't do this anymore. Glennon Doyle, she's phenomenal. And she says, just do the next right thing. Mm. And that's been a huge mantra of mine that it's like, you know what? I don't need to know what's going to happen a day from now, a year from now, a week from now, a month from now. It doesn't matter. I just need to do the next right thing. Otherwise you get sort of like choice paralysis or mm. decision paralysis where you're like, what about this? There's so many decisions to make, especially when you own your own business and you just have to say, what is the next best decision and mm -hmm. make it and just make it according to your gut and your intuition. I've, I've always believed in intuition that, mm -hmm. that there's a piece of us that sort of says what the next right thing is. Mm -hmm. And then you worry about the next decision when the next decision comes, you don't need to worry about that decision today. That's tomorrow's decision. That's so good. I love it. Okay. So I have a question. You have a big, you said you have six kids busy family. Do you find it helpful to have set systems or habits in place to keep work as work and to keep family life as family life? How do you, how do you juggle it? I do not. I'm <laughs> probably a weakness of mine, but you know what? I think that people with large families, I think there's two different philosophies on this. And I've met 
different types of moms that have large families. And some say we have a schedule for everything. We're regimented and that's the only way we get through the day. We have a set breakfast time, a set snack time, a set lunch time. And I'm the opposite. I am mm. so go with the flow, which probably makes it easy to have a big family because nothing really riles me you know it's like okay one minute if this is what we need to do in this minute this is what we're doing and if we need to switch and pivot we'll switch and pivot and I'm just very sort of easygoing like that so I probably do have uh, boundary issues with bringing work home <laughs> but I always make sure that I carve out special time with each of my kids like my oldest son wrestling is his thing and I always make sure I'm cheering him on as at his wrestling matches and We'll drive there together and we'll talk on the way. And my um, next daughter, hers is a theater and I do everything I can to support that passion. And so even if it's just carving out time for each of them to sort of give them their own personal recognition, they know they're great kids and they, they being part of a large family has sort of taught them that they are not the center of attention. And mm -hmm. so I will say they're very good about not always needing me that I, they're, they're pretty self-sufficient and I make sure that I don't take advantage of their self-sufficiency by, you know, not giving them any attention. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's a balancing act. They know that I work a lot, but you know, they also know that they get lots of one-on-one -on -one time, but you know, it might be in the car on the way to a wrestling tournament, or it might be, you know, in between swim practice and piano lessons, or it mm -hmm. might be, I think as long as you carve that time out for your kids, it's totally possible to, balance work and kids, even without a set schedule, just wherever that time falls, take advantage of it. Wherever that mm -hmm. time with them where you can get it, just take advantage of it. Quality love, over quantity. Yeah. I love that you give yourself the grace to do both and that you don't feel like you have to be super regimented. And I think a lot of moms would probably really enjoy hearing you say that. I was, when my kids, my kids are in college now, but when they were younger, those car rides is where I really got good quality time with them. <laughs> the yes. best conversations happen in the car. <laughs> Always. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Don't turn on the radio. Don't turn on the podcast. Talk to the kids, even yeah. if it's not 20 minutes in the car. Like I said, my son wrestles and we would spend hours in the car because he would go to tournaments up in Pennsylvania and Virginia beach and sort of all up and down the East coast. And those are my favorite memories with him. Mm -hmm. He's about to graduate and go to college. And so I'm really going to miss it. I look at those times and I'm like, I'm so thankful. I'm kind of sad that he can drive himself now, even though it's <laughs> a huge blessing. Right. Me, it's a huge <laughs> blessing when your teenagers can drive themselves. But I also miss those times because I'm like, those were probably the closest times that I ever had with him. There were full drives to New Jersey where we didn't turn on the radio once. We just talked about everything about life and about circumstances and about dreams and hopes. And mm -hmm. I think that it's a really great opportunity. Definitely car time is a great, it's a, yeah. you're, you have a captive audience. They yes. can't go anywhere. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love that your kids are getting to see their mom, a, a, a strong woman succeed in business. And so talk to me about the legacy that you're leaving your kids. I think that that's so important because my kids truly believe that there is no difference in what a man and a woman can accomplish. There's mm -hmm. no like subconscious bias. There's no like 
this is a woman's role. I hate cooking. I, it is like, I, in fact, my husband's in the kitchen cooking dinner. Right <laughs> I, it's just not my thing. And so I've raised them to not really see these traditional gender roles to say like, this is what is typical of a, of a husband wife relationship. And that it was so interesting. My husband and I went to a Marine Corps ball last night and my husband was talking to this lady about how we had six kids and she turns and looks at me and she's an older woman and I'm sure she's very pleasant and very nice, mm -hmm. but she looks at me and she goes, oh my goodness, you must have your hands so full. And I said, don't look at me talk to my husband, he's got his hands full. <laughs> but the subconscious bias for her to say, like she's talking to my husband mm -hmm. and then to turn to me and go, well, you must have your hands full. We made these children together. I don't have right. my hands full. We, you know, maybe we have our hands full, but I do not have my hands full, that it is truly right. a joint responsibility to raise our children. And I don't take any more, you know, my husband loves being a dad and we both love being parents. And while I love my children, I definitely don't see it as, you know, my role to be the primary child raiser that we both take on that role. And so I, her face was just kind of, <laughs> she was like, Oh, he's got his hands full because I do work a lot. And that's just mm -hmm. the roles that we've, we've defined. And I think it's, I think it's really taught my boys a huge respect for women. I know that for my mm -hmm. oldest son, you know, my younger son doesn't really get that yet. I'm sure it's subconscious for him, but my older son really talks about it. He's, he's 17. And he says like, wow, you do a lot. You work a lot. You're able to accomplish so much. And he doesn't diminish a woman's role in any capacity, mm -hmm. um, which I think is just such huge progress for this next generation. And then for my daughter's there's nothing that they don't, I mean, that they don't think they, they think they can do everything <laughs> for better. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. They're not limited in size or scope or, you know, and I, and I support anything they want to do. I say, if you want to be a mom, if you want to raise babies and that's what you and your husband want to do, that's great. That's, that is such a valuable role too. Mm -hmm. But my choice was to have babies, but also have these other passions because I think it's really important that moms in general and women in general are able to have their own sort of passions and identities um, mm -hmm. outside their children. So even if you're a stay-at-home mom, developing that passion and that drive for something that's really important to you as an individual, I think is really important. And I think I've, I've demonstrated that to them that there's nothing that they can't do. That is powerful for them, not just to hear stories, but to actually see their mom do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, awesome. I'm really uh, proud to be able to give them the, mm -hmm. the example. Cause I, I think it's every parent's hope that they go on to do better, you know, like, and yeah. so I'm, I'm sort of preparing them for, for what's their future. I'm really, really excited to see how they, how they grow and develop. Oh, I love that so much. Okay, so if you could dream up three tidbits of advice for the listeners who are chasing their dreams on their own terms, just like you did, what would it be? Um, so I think one or two will be practical and one will be a little less practical um, because okay. I really want people okay. to walk away from this with a practical, some sort of practical steps that they can take. 
And one is when you're developing a business, do your research. I think Mm. it's so, so important to research your market size and your target demographics and who you're trying to reach and what your purpose is. And I think that is probably one of the biggest things that business owners miss. They sort Mm. of, you know, miss the forest for the trees sort of thing. Mm. So when we were opening up FXBG Access, we did things like where is there an open market? So we looked everywhere from Washington, DC to Richmond, and we Mm -hmm. located them and said, okay, how far is the appropriate distance from competitors? And where would there be an open market? Second thing we looked at was average household income, because this is a recreational sport. People need excess income in order to, people need extra income in order to participate in this activity. So we made sure that the households that we were targeting had a high disposable income for them to be able to like engage in sort of extracurricular activities. They're not, you know, it's not an essential. Things like, who are you targeting? Are you targeting, you know, we targeted military a lot because there's high turnover and they're always looking for something Mm -hmm. fun to do. We targeted families because a lot of the ax throwing ranges don't let children under 18 participate. So we're like, we're gonna capture that market So I think defining your market, doing your research into your market area and your target audience are just really important before you set on your goal, before you Mm -hmm. start implementing is doing your research. And I think you'll set your business up for success if you do your research. The second one is pick your partners wisely. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Yeah. Pick your partners wisely. And it's not just, I mean... You should almost see business relationships as like a marriage. They're really Mm -hmm. difficult to get out of. They're legally binding. There are lots of financial repercussions. Mm -hmm. So you better decide that the person that you're going into business with, think of it as a marriage. There's going to be compromise. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be, and make sure that this is someone that brings value to what you're trying to do. Don't bring in your sister because they're your sister. What is their value to your business and their contribution? Do they care about this business as much as you do? Do they have skills that are necessary to contribute? And make sure that there's just a lot of trust there and that the boundaries are really clear. Part of that is, you know, legal, setting it up, setting it up mm-hmm. in a legal way, that the boundaries are really, are really clear. But knowing that this is someone you're going to, you're going to have disagreements with and that you're, you're going to get into arguments with, and you're going to need to resolve them or else it could have some pretty big consequences. Also be careful about diluting your market share. So we had a, a, we actually coached our friends into opening up an ax throwing range in Pennsylvania. They saw how well we're doing. And so they said, Hey, can you help us out? And then all of a sudden they said, oh yeah, we're going to bring in this person and this person and this person. And I said, really think about one, you're, you're increasing the potential for conflict when you have so many people, you know, that everyone's going to have a different opinion as to how things should get done. So that can increase conflict, but also you're diluting your profit and people Mm -hmm. don't get that. Like if there's, if there's a dollar and there's 10 partners, you're getting a lot less than a dollar. Right. So I've, I've sort of tried to do that with real estate. Some people have said, Hey, can I invest with you? And I've just thought, you know what the, the returns, I'd really rather just sort of do this myself one to keep conflict low and to keep profit high. So if you're going to bring in a partner, be really selective. And I would only bring in one or two that are really necessary. Um, so that would be my second, 
word of advice. And then my third word of advice would be to be flexible and be willing to pivot. So um, like when we had our, our inspection go wrong at the very mm -hmm. end, we we're mm -hmm. like, okay, all hands on deck. <laughs> Everyone start pulling pulling down wood. We got to get a new reinspection. I got to start calling the fire marshal to see if they'll come out and reinspect it. I mean, when I went to Maine, the house wasn't done. It was in complete, <laughs> it was a complete catastrophe with no working bathroom. And I had to figure out a way. Nothing is going to go to plan. Just mm -hmm. start with that assumption that nothing, nothing is going to go the way that you imagine or expected or planned because that's just not how it works and be flexible and don't let that stop you. Be willing to pivot and say, this was a, this was a road bump, but I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call different subcontractors, or I'm going to get a drill and start taking wood down, or I'm going to, you know, whatever that is, don't let it stop you. Keep going and be flexible and it's just a, it's just a, a speed bump. Three excellent uh, pieces of advice. So do you have a favorite book to share with the audience that has inspired you, whether it's business or personally? So I loved, and, and to be fair, I haven't had a chance to read in the last couple of years, the last three years. I can imagine. <laughs> The last three You've been just a little that. bit busy. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. So to be fair, this was the last book that I read and I read it when it first came out. So it came out. So it's been a couple of years now, but it was Untamed by Glennon Doyle, Untamed. And it's just, I think it's just, it's not specific to business, but it's just a great life book. And it's mm. really talking about honoring yourself and honoring mm. your intuition and your boundaries and being able to say, this is this, these, these are my core beliefs and I need to stay true to that. And I think that in business or in life, there's just always some great, that's always a great mantra to live by is your business should follow your beliefs. And if it's not, there's a problem you need to realign and that the best businesses are the businesses that you believe in and that you truly enjoy and that are, are true to your values and so I think that that, that book is just a great demonstration of how to stay true to your, to your values. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And I can tell that you do live by that. So there is a quote that I love from Mel Robbins. She says, everything in your life is preparing you for something that hasn't happened yet. So my last question for you, what is next for Krista? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. What is next for me? Well, we are expanding into access as i mentioned earlier where it'll be the, our first time owning a restaurant slash bar so that will definitely bring its own challenges we're like i said we're tripling our square footage size and bringing in the food and um, beverage portion of it so that's definitely a new challenge i am still actively investing in real estate so that's super exciting and we're having baby number seven Wow. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank that is so know. exciting. Yeah, so there's lots in store for me. So I, and I think, um, I think there's probably more because I'm one of those people that I get a crazy idea and I follow it. So there's <laughs> probably, you know, I'll probably have like, I don't know, uh, really my long-term dream is to have a home in Italy. Oh, so wow. that is, 
So I hope that that is on the horizon at some mm-hmm. point as I love to travel and it would be an investment property. I think you have a book in you. <laughs> I do. You are not the first person to say that. <laughs> I'm not a great writer. It would have to be a ghost writer. <laughs> I can I talk. think that you have, I think you have great content. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So if our listeners want to learn more about uh, the Bar Harbor Convent House uh, or uh, FXBG Access, how can they find you? So the best way for our convent house is uh, Instagram at Bar Harbor Convent House. Um, and FXBG Axes is on Facebook, Instagram, and just www.fxbgaxes.com. Um, and they'll be able to see all of our expansion coming up. Yeah. And we do have um, some other rental, like vacation rental properties in North Carolina. So I'll post those to Bar Harbor Convent House as well. So people will be able to see all of them from okay. one, see the, the reservation link in case they want to check them out. Excellent. Krista, thank you so much. This has been a blast and I wish you the best success in all of your future projects. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. I really appreciate you, you having me. Krista shared so many beautiful lessons from her career today. Here are my top takeaways. Number one, when you're developing a business, do your research. Research your market size, your target demographics, who you're trying to reach and what your purpose is. Number two, Pick your partners wisely. Bring in only as many people as you require to your company. Number three, be flexible and willing to pivot. Don't get caught off guard during a business crisis. Number four, listen to your gut and intuition. It often clearly tells you what the next right thing is for you. Worry about the next decision when it comes. Number five, know that failure is not the end of your entrepreneurial journey. Instead, Focus on the lessons learned from tough times. You'll emerge even stronger than before. And number six, don't let people decide how you should live your life. Do what makes you happy. If you want more, head on over to SheTurnedEntrepreneur.com for the show notes and links mentioned in this episode. Are you looking for a group of female entrepreneurs like you to ask questions and bounce ideas? Be sure to join my exclusive community for She Turned Entrepreneur Insiders on Facebook. We could all use some extra support. You can find the link at SheTurnedEntrepreneur.com. Thank you so much for listening to the She Turned Entrepreneur podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, share with a friend, or leave a review. I'll see you next week.